News, politics, and special events with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to the Luke Macias Show. This is your host, Luke Macias, with my co-host, Raz Schaefer. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be with you, Luke. So, uh, guys, next week in our episode, we are going to take a little bit more time to introduce Raz to you. Uh, I don't think you need to know too much about me, but we'll do a little bit of an intro and an understanding of really what it is we want to accomplish on this podcast. And so uh, due to the time-sensitive nature of the conversation that we were able to secure for our first episode, we're wanting to get right into that conversation. So uh, we're going to give a brief intro and let y'all hear the story of a father in Texas who... Uh, Three years ago, his three-year-old son had a conversation with him and told him that mommy tells me I'm a girl and dresses me like a girl. And um, that began a three-year battle, which at this point has his son enrolled in school as a girl, has him going through treatment to transition him, has him on the path to begin hormone therapy in the coming years, and eventually chemical castration around the age of 15. And... um, Having an hour-long conversation with Jeff was just an incredibly sobering talk. I think each and every one of you are going to learn a tremendous amount about what type of battles are going on in the state of Texas. Uh, Raz, you've heard it before other people. Why don't you just give me a couple thoughts that you had? Well, you know, the first thing I want to point out at the beginning, I feel like a lot of of listeners, as people see us on Facebook, it would be very easy for folks to take this and think, well, Raz and Luke, conservative Christians, are just going to beat up and they're anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ. Um, that's not what this episode's about. That's not where we're coming from. What this is about is a a three-year-old boy who's now six who was told by his mom that he was a girl. And it wasn't like he was telling his dad, oh, I'm a girl. He was coming to his dad's house and spending time over there saying, no, I'm I'm a boy. And he's mad about having to be dressed in these things. And there's a huge disagreement between two parents that that are now divorced. And in the middle of this is a boy who's mental and physical health is is at risk and coming out of this story over half the emails or about half the emails that the the group set up to support Jeff and James are getting are from people in the LGBTQ community that are saying hey this is not right this so this is not a a pro-trans versus anti-trans or bigot versus you know and homophobe thing this is about a little boy who needs help and is is strung up in the middle of a court case there are two things that I want our listeners to really um, listen out for. One is about 30 minutes into the conversation, Jeff just gives us kind of a snippet into the, I think, emotional side of what a dad has to deal with when he's having to try to have conversations with his son, but being told by the court that he's not even allowed to try to convince his son that he's a son. And then at the end, I think Jeff does an incredible job really calling out Texans um, to answer the call and uh, and address this issue in a courageous manner. I think both of them are very powerful. Um, right before we get to the conversation, I want to very quickly thank our sponsor, Patriot Academy. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out more information about them, but they have week-long intensive leadership training courses 
at the state capitol here in Texas and at capitals around the nation. These are opportunities for 15 to 25-year-old uh, students to be able to engage and learn worldview and amazing uh, skill sets. Raz has been through it. I've been through it. So anyways, check out patriotacademy.com. And without further ado, I want to take you to the conversation that I had with Jeff Younger and Joe Scott. Well, this is a conversation that I have been um, excited about having. Uh, Jeff Younger and Joe Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm going to give y'all just a, a, a minute to introduce yourselves here. Um, but I want to to let you know that I'm grateful to have this conversation because I think it's a conversation that Texans aren't having. I think it's a conversation that our lawmakers are trying to ignore. And I think um, we are being faced with issues that are drastically affecting children throughout our state and will only continue to affect more and more. So Jeff, your courage and willingness to sit down and talk with us um, is something that I'm very grateful for. So that being said, um, Joe, I want uh, you to introduce yourself because I think once Jeff starts, I'd like him to kind of go into his story right away. So if you would just take a brief uh, second to tell our listeners who you are, and then Jeff, I'm going to ask you to kind of introduce yourself and then start in, if you wouldn't mind just telling us your story where it began and, and where you are today. Yeah, so my name is Joe Scott. Uh, my wife, Sarah Scott, and I uh, run the SaveJames.com website. Okay. Um, I've known Jeff now for about two and a half to three years. I've known his boys for about eight months now. Uh, just met him this last summer. Uh, it's been our goal, you know, in the last eight months, really to just kind of make these boys as much family as we could. I think we've probably spent close to 200 hours with them, probably more than any psychologist ever will. Mm -hmm. uh, love them, uh, but my wife is doing a lot of the work behind the scenes, helping raise funds, doing the Facebook page, the YouTube page, just anything we can do because when we met Jeff and we started talking about his sons, one big issue we realized is that he was forbidden and restricted to talk about all this and get it out himself. And so we kind of wanted to be a voice um, for him and for James. Awesome. Jeff. My name is Jeff Younger. I'm the father of two boys, James and Jude. My ex-wife claims that James is a transgendered girl, and she has, to date, actually socially transitioned him, meaning that he wears a dress at her home. He has a new made-up name, Luna, uh, appears in the court filings. He goes to school. Uh, the teachers call him Luna. Uh, he uses the girls' bathroom at school. All of his authority figures, his mother, his teacher, the librarian at school, the police officer at school, the principals at school, say he's a girl. I'm the only authority figure in his life that tells him the truth, that he's actually a boy. Mm -hmm. His mother has enrolled him at the Genesis Clinic, G-E-N-E-C-I-S, Clinic at Children's Hospital, and he has been diagnosed with gender dysphoria, and they have him on the Dutch protocol. The first step is social transitioning. The second step is hormone transitioning, where they will uh, apply hormones to him that will prevent the natural growth of his sexual organs, effectively chemical castration of this boy. The third step is surgical transition, which they do as early as 15 years old in the state of Texas. So if you wouldn't mind kind of backing up in that story, when did this start? When did you first understand things that your wife was doing and what has been kind of the story that leads you to where you are today. Okay. Well, it really started before the divorce, uh, before I had left the house. Um, 
I noticed uh, just some strange anomalies, which I really can't get into details about okay. it uh, because it's about minors, but strange anomalies with the care of my, my sons, particularly okay. of James, and some complaints from James. Um, and then Miss Georgilis, uh, my ex-wife's name is Ann Georgilis. Miss Georgilis um, uh, was putting my son into timeouts, and she would lock him in his room and say that the monsters only eat boys. And so uh, at that time, I was at MetLife Bank. I was uh, manager of enterprise architecture there. And I helped shut that bank down. After the bank was shut down, I, I got a pretty nice package. So I had some financial breathing room. So I decided to stay home with my sons because I was worried about them. Okay. Situation deteriorated, and we want, I, I wound up having to leave the home. And that was uh, on the advice of attorneys. Um, uh, Ms. Georgeless filed for divorce. Um, and we went through a very contentious uh, divorce uh, with um, every imaginable uh, legal maneuver. Uh, it was extremely expensive. And at this point, the boys were how old? The boys were two when she filed, almost okay. three. Okay. Um, we, we adopted voluntarily a 50-50 custody schedule. Got it. Um, during the uh, temporary orders period, when we were waiting to go to final trial and we're going through the endless motions uh, before the associate judge, um, my three-year-old son tells me, he's at my home, he tells me uh, that he's a girl. Mm -hmm. And I, I had the presence of mind, thank goodness, to pull out my iPhone and uh, videotape me asking him about that. And that was the, literally the first time that I really understood what was happening to my son. And what did you gather from that first conversation with him? His mother was telling him that he was a girl. She was dressing him as a girl. She was putting nail polish on him and encouraging him to act like a girl. And my, my personal assessment, this isn't from James, but my personal mm -hmm. assessment was that she was only giving him love and affection if he acted like a girl. And that was the first time I noticed. He was, he was just past his third birthday. So at that point, there was no legal disagreement between the two of you on his gender? No, it, we were actually uh, just entering a custody evaluation. So I brought this up to the custody evaluator and showed him the video. Astonishingly, the uh, video never appears in his report. And he only mentions once in his report that I made this complaint. He really totally ignored it and attempted, did his best to ignore it. We were eventually able to get this custody evaluator's report struck. His name is Blake Mitchell. Um, his report was struck because, one, it failed to meet the legal requirements in the state of Texas for such a report. It was a, an enormously low quality. And also because it had manifest bias. Uh, in it. For example, uh, he elicited negative information from the witnesses that I brought forward, negative information about me, but never solicited negative information about Anne from her witnesses. Mm. Um, there are also some very suspicious happenings in the motion to strike during the hearing. This is before the actual district judge, not the associate judge, um, where the, the bailiff almost arrested Blake Mitchell for some kind of nefarious activities um, that involved opposing counsel. So, so you initiated this information coming to light to the attention of the judge? To the judge and the custody evaluator. And then what has, what, 
chain of events transpired to lead us to where we are today, legally so, speaking? So um, I was named in the divorce a joint managing conservator. Mm -hmm. In Texas, there are nine rights that parents have over their children, and there are no. That's one important point. There, in Texas, there really are no child rights. All children's rights are parental rights. So you'll hear a lot of people say, well, this is really about the children, and, and it is certainly about the children, but it's inevitably in Texas about the parents because it's about their rights. So I was named a joint managing conservator. Uh, I have all rights except for one, very suspiciously. I can consent to medical treatment and all sorts of things, everything that uh, any parent could consent mm -hmm. to, but I was denied the right to consent to psychological treatment of my sons. Were you denied that right from the beginning, or was that it was that It was strongly negotiated by opposing attorney, and I lacked the funds to go back to court to challenge it. So my attorney advised me that either go pro se well you lose, or uh, just set this one right. It's only one minimal right. How could it hurt? Mm -hmm. Well, look now. When that decision was made, were you aware of what was happening in your ex-wife's home, or was that a concession made? At that point, she she had not publicly cross-dressed James, or had, as far as I know, he was not wearing dresses constantly at her Got home. It. it was more of a dress-up thing, I thought. Got it. Right? Got it. So I didn't think it was that big a deal. Okay. Okay. So talk to us about what happened moving forward. Okay. So, um, you know, I get, um, I get assigned near maximal child support. I, you know, I get the standard custody schedule mm -hmm. with my sons, which most men in Texas have. Um, uh, around James's, getting close to his fifth birthday party, I start noticing that he's coming out of the house when I go to pick him up, for, uh, coming out of Ms. Georgelis' house crying. And it took me a, a couple of times picking him up to sort of understand why. It was because his fingernails were painted, or he was wearing girl shoes, mm. or other things. Mm. Um, so I asked her to stop sending him out in girls' clothing or dress like a girl. He doesn't like it. Um, when his fifth birthday party arrived, she made that basically his coming out party. He showed mm. up in a dress, and a number of people at my church attended and talked to our priest about it, were very upset about it. Um, and from that point forward, he dressed full-time as a girl, and she enrolled him in school the next summer, at, when summer ended, um, enrolled him in school as a girl named Luna. So, so I know that you and I have had some conversations about current restrictions put on you and the disagreements. Can you kind of walk us through when those entered into the picture from the legal standing, when, yep. when the court began to kind of take sides in this issue? So... Um, when she realized that the that the church was going to be completely and totally against her position, and that you know we have this joke in orthodoxy, how many orthodoxes it take to change a light bulb? Change? What's change? Right? The orthodox are not changing their position on these matters ever. Mm -hmm. When she realized that, she then started taking my sons to a very left wing church, a capel that does the gender neutral pronouns for God and all that stuff. So, um, and he goes there in a dress now. That's where he attends. So she tried to change the boy's religion. But I continue to, as, as I said, he, he dresses as a boy at my house. He's never dressed as a girl at my house and violently refuses to dress as a girl at my house. And I've continued to keep him in the Orthodox uh, faith. <coughs> when she realized that this wasn't going to work, um, she filed a motion last year um, a motion to modify 
excuse me, <clears throat> a motion to modify in which uh, she claimed uh, that I was abusing James because I refused to affirm his female gender identity. She sought to enjoin me from using masculine pronouns, so she wants the court to prevent parental speech towards a child. She wants the court to force me to go to transgender education <clears throat> that I have to actually pass. That is, I could fail the education. Um, on uh, raising transgender children and uh, the importance and care of affirming their chosen gender identity. She wants to reduce my visitation to the point where I have no overnight visits. Um, and further, she wants to enjoin my speech outside of the home so that I can never present James as a boy to the outside world, nor use his real name, nor use masculine pronouns, even when I speak about him when uh, he's not even there. Even now. Even now. I mean, she would prefer for you to not be able to call him your son, that is not correct. be able to call him a him. That is correct. Okay. Now, now that action was taken when? That was taken in, um, let me look at the date on the, on the filing. I'll give you the exact date. Um, 7 to 2018. That's the uh, okay. district clerk stamp. In July. Mm -hmm. And so what has transpired since that filing? We went, you know, as, as normal, in a motion to modify, it's just like another divorce. Mm -hmm. So we then go into temporary orders again. And in temporary orders, uh, the, um, the judge decides what will be the custody arrangements as we go to final trial. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first thing they did is uh, they attempted to implement what they wanted in their petition, to simply not allow me to have any overnight stays. And, and if I don't affirm that James is a girl, I don't get to see him at all. The judge said, no, I'm not going to do that. But the, the judge did uh, put me under an injunction. Okay. And I am enjoined <clears throat> on pain of uh, criminal contempt from presenting my son as a boy to any third party that already knows him as a girl. Okay. All right. I am enjoined from attempting to persuade my son that he is actually a boy. That is the actual language of the injunction. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm not to give my son any undue embarrassment, right? So, uh, which all of these things severely constrain my public speech, mm -hmm. obviously, right? Anything could be considered, like right now what I'm doing could be considered to embarrass him. Um, how do I know when I'm speaking in a public place who knows him as a girl and who doesn't? Mm -hmm. um, and can the court really uh, tell a parent that what pronouns they have to use in their own home? with their own son. So is the is the ruling, is the injunction preventing you from referring to him as a certain pronoun in your home or you're not able to persuade him, right? So the, the, how does that, how's that no, interpreted? The, the injunction says that if I'm in the presence of a third party who knows him as a girl, I can't can use masculine not. pronouns. Yep. So for example, think about now going to school yep. where he's known as a girl. I've had yep. to do this. Um, uh, the, the first time I had to go to school, she assaulted my son, and we had to call the police, and we could talk about that um, because it's, a, it's a, a good example of the links that she's going to go through on this. Um, but 
I went to I just went to a simple school meeting where they just talk about the curriculum. It's an it's a international program yep. at Capel. Well, I, you know, I'm talking about James. I can't say, well, how's he doing? Hmm. I have to say things like, how is my child doing? Hmm. You know, it's a, it turns out to be incredibly difficult to communicate mm-hmm. because English is built around these distinctions, right? Um, so I have to be very careful about that. And further, I can't actually go to school when he's there, so I can't accompany him on school trips. One, because he will violently act out against wearing girls' clothes when I'm present, and he'll actually just go hide in a restroom and try to take them off. Hmm. Um, but the other is, how do I address my own son now? Hmm. I can't use his real name, and I can't use masculine pronouns. If I don't know. Yeah, yeah if... At school, so I, I, there's no way to actually address my son without mm. uh, uh, affirming something that's against my religious beliefs and that's scientifically false. Mm. So I really have effectively been enjoined from participating in school activities with my son. What has happened since that injunction? Since since that injunction, eventually the judge made it mutual, so that the injunction also applies to uh, Miss Georgilis. So she can't try to convince him that he's a girl. However, she takes him to a uh, LGBT counselor who tries to convince him that is a girl. So um, now, would would you be able to do the same thing in essence? I, I mean, can, I cannot consent to psychological treatment. Hmm. Yep. I have requested that I be allowed to, uh, of Miss Georgilis that I be allowed to get a second opinion, and she says, "Well, if we can get the psychiatrist at the Genesis Clinic and his counselor and me to all agree on who you're going to take him to, mm. we can certainly do that." In other mm. words, you you can get a second opinion if it's a if it's a provider that I would choose. Yeah. Um, but that means I can't get an independent one. Yeah. So to date, I've never been able to get a second opinion uh, on James's supposed gender dysphoria. So where are we today? Give me the current as of today's standing? Today we are in the middle of a custody evaluation uh, with uh, Dr. Benjamin Albritton. Um, We're about halfway through that custody evaluation. He's met with me the requisite number of times. He's met with Ms. Georgilis the requisite number of times. I have uh, completed half of my in-home visits and half of my office visits with him. it will be very expensive. I expect uh, Ms. Georgios and I to split the expenses, and I bet, I'm, I'm betting at this point that each of us will pay around $20,000 for this evaluation. Okay. Um, he charges uh, you know, $350 an hour lawyer rates yep. for this. At the point in time in which that is done, mm-hmm. the judge will make a decision. Is yep. that the expectation? Yep. This, um, what will happen is uh, probably both parties will go to the associate judge and explain what the recommendations are from the custody evaluator. If they're favorable to me, we'll take it. Um, if it's favorable to them, they will take it. And ask the judge in the interim to implement the custody evaluator's custody uh, arrangements. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you go into a divorce, the existing custody arrangements are a very powerful status quo. Mm-hmm. Now, you uh, can you explain to everyone, because uh, I find this fascinating, the the requirements for the custody evaluator? Mm-hmm. So you told me that they have to be a licensed psychologist. Is that correct? That's or, correct. Okay. So so the requirements for the custody evaluator, and then therefore the impact that the greater associations' rules and regulations and procedures have on 
the effects of Texas law and custody battles. Can, would you mind going into that just a little bit? Uh, absolutely. Well, the, the law, it's interesting, the law uh, changed literally months before my divorce, uh, mm. and Texas uh, instituted much more stringent requirements for custody evaluations because they were being very much abused in Texas. Mm. Um, you must be a licensed uh, psychologist to conduct a uh, custody evaluation. Okay. There are a number of uh, bureaucratic requirements that have to be satisfied. One, you have to provide all of your contact information, the contact information of all parties interviewed, everything. Nothing can be held secret around who was contacted. You have to, going so far as all of the psychologists that participate in any way, we have to get their license numbers. <clears throat> they have to uh, interview the children. They have to uh, take um, um, uh, both in, in office and home visits to, to make evaluations. Excuse me again. <clears throat> we're both a bit ill, so we're both Understood. recovering. Um, and um, they, they, they then have to offer custody recommendations in a specific form okay. that's usable by judges. Um, in, the, in the case where I had a custody evaluation struck, he was still allowed to testify as to his personal observations, but he was disallowed from offering any custody recommendations. So that's why I maintained 50-50 custody going into my divorce and still wasn't able to get 50-50 coming out of the court. Um, so uh, he's in the pro Dr. Albritton is in the process of performing all that. The, the important thing to note here is that courts essentially take these recommendations and implement them. Hmm. And the reason is there's, a, there's serious political risk for a judge if he alters those and the arrangement doesn't work out very well, mm. then it's really on the judge. But if the judge simply follows the recommendation of the experts, it's really on the expert. The second thing to know is that the judges have relationships with these experts. In fact, in my case, the, the requested um, uh, evaluator from Ms. Georgilis was, of course, the previous custody evaluator, the one who was corrupt and did the awfully biased one. We, we, uh, we said simply that uh, we want family court services to do it. The standard practice in Dallas is if the two sides can't agree on a custody evaluator, it goes to family court services, and it's $700. They appoint a psychologist who does a standard custody evaluation. Uh, the associate judge overruled me and said, nope, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to have to give your $5,000 retainer to Dr. Benjamin Albritton. He knows Benjamin Albritton. He must know that he has some knowledge or specialty in this area. Mm -hmm. So there's close relationships between the custody evaluators and the judges themselves. And so that plays into how well, how well what credibility they accord these reports as well. Got it. And, and um, you had mentioned to me before re regarding the processes and procedures that the psychologists' associations recommend to them that they then implement and the effects that that has on Texas law. Do you, I'm trying to. Yeah, so it's, um, it's interesting. There are uh, the APA has no actual protocol for conducting custody evaluations. Now there is a separate group that is trying to develop such a protocol, and you'll find many of the expert witnesses you go to are members of this group. But there's no official protocol for doing a custody evaluation. That's one of the reasons that Texas had to pass a are, law. Are there any official um, protocols regarding gender issues? Yes. Okay. So. Um, so this, what I'm saying is the psychologist, the discussion is very free to choose how he approaches his work. Got it. However, they are constrained professionally by being members of the American Psychological Association to uh, follow the diagnostic protocols, which are in the DSM manual. 
Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And the current version of that manual is the DSM-5. And in the DSM-5, gender identity disorder was reclassified, reclassified as gender dysphoria. And they are obligated to abide by these, um, by these diag mm -hmm. diagnostic standards, mm -hmm. right? I've made uh, two claims about this. The first is that the, because the custody evaluators almost always followed, this gives the APA essentially the force of law in custody mm -hmm. cases, right? Um, the second thing that I've argued at length is that the DSM uh, criteria are not scientific in nature and therefore don't meet the Texas statutory requirements for expert evidence and really shouldn't be used in any court in this state. The DSM uh, diagnostic criteria are developed by committees where they take votes and things like this. Well, that's not how science is done, hmm. right? Science is done by the evaluation of experiments. Uh, bad ideas are shown to be falsified until we come closer and closer to the truth and a consensus emerges about what's possible. It's not done by political actions and committees and parliamentary procedures, which is how the DSM is constructed. So I've made two arguments in that regard. Um, so in essence, when, when the American Psychological Association takes positions on gender issues and disputes, those then tie the hands of psychologists. They very well can. On what they can or can't do. Indeed. And then that greatly affects their potential custody evaluation, mm -hmm. which then alters the rulings that judges will be making, not only in your case, but in other cases regarding these issues, which are sure to come up in the future. Would you, is that, I, I don't want to no, exactly come to that conclusion. I'm just saying that's no. what I sense from what you're saying. No, that's, that's exactly, absolutely correct. I mean, before, uh, before gender identity disorder was moved to gender dysphoria, there would simply be no basis for this motion to modify. Whatsoever. So, so we, we, all they could have claimed is that James had some sort of mental disorder, which needed to be treated. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift to Joe real quick, and then I'll come back to you, Jeff, on a couple things. But, Joe, I want to kind of bring you into this conversation. I know that you and your wife found out about this, started uh, the website and, and other things subsequently. I'd love for you to kind of expound upon that a little bit. But what has been, you know, this is a story that when I tell most people, when I just introduce the 30-second elevator version of what Jeff is going through, they just kind of their jaw drops, right? And they say, what, where, how, Texas? So um, when you found out this information, tell me a little bit about what y'all did and then tell me what the response has been. What kind of feedback have y'all gotten? How many people have signed these different petitions you set yeah. up? How much money have you raised? Go into that if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, sure thing. So um, we first met the boys. Whenever Jeff first told me about how his wife was bringing him back into court to file this motion, my first thought was I'd love to meet him. You know, I've heard about this for a few months now. I'd love to meet him. So we invited him over, and we had a swim party. Um, I've got three little boys and a little girl at home. They're two, four, seven, and ten now. Yeah. And his boys are six, so they get along great. And um, we decided that whole month of July, since he had them, we were just going to spend every time, we, every moment we could with them. So from that point, what we realized is that it felt like Jeff wasn't able to get the word out. He wasn't able to talk about this. He wasn't able to do anything. So we decided, hey, let's put together a website. Let's start talking to people. Mm. And believe it or not, for the first three months, uh, nobody would listen. Mm. It was too unbelievable. Mm. you know. And, and not only that, but it felt like most people didn't want to pick up the issue because they thought it was going to be anti-LGBTQ community, mm. which, believe it or not, we've actually had an overwhelming amount of support from the LGBT community. 
Hmm. Um, over half of the 3,000 emails we received in the last two months have been from current transgender, lesbian, and gay people saying, we don't agree with your philosophy, but we are against this for kids. Hmm. This is a massive distraction and not what we want at all. Um, so that's been pretty encouraging. Obviously, yes. we've now had a little over a million hits on the website um, that we've created, savejames.com. Um, kind of a lot of that started when Walt Heyer released an article um, at the end of November. Walt Heyer is a previous transgender himself. Got it. Um, transitioned into a woman in the 80s and then uh, nine to ten years later back into a man. And now he travels around actually helping uh, trans pe transgender people realize that that doesn't necessarily fix the problem. Hmm. Um, so he wrote an article after we met him at a conference about James, yep. and that's what kind of made all this take off um, yep. and, and shared everywhere. Since then, with the different GoFundMe sites we've created, we've raised about $70,000, $72,000, somewhere in that range. 100% yep. of that has gone towards the legal expenses and the care for the boys to Jeff. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, aside from that, the petitions, we have two online petitions. Mm -hmm. One was created, both of them were created by volunteers. Yep. Uh, one was created through petition.org, uh, I think, and it's got almost 200,000 signatures, mm. hopefully going to Texas lawmakers, and the other through the White House uh, petition site that was just created mm -hmm. last week. I think we need 100,000 signatures on that in order for it to even take mm -hmm. notice. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no idea where we're at, maybe 1,000. Okay, so. okay, awesome. Um, you know, Jeff, I even when we're sitting having this conversation, I know that a lot of it seems very just kind of matter of fact, this is what's happened. And I think you presenting the information is incredibly helpful. Um, it, it seems to me like it, it has to be very difficult for a father of a son to be restricted in so many ways. I mean, due to the realities that everything you say could be used against you and has been used against you um, to uh, just just the the restrictions that have been put on you. And um, I mean, can you, I know you're so limited in what you can or can't say, but you can, can you speak to that to some extent? Um, <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> so I, I'm a red-blooded Texan. Mm -hmm. And I want you to imagine having electronic communication with your son mm. on FaceTime. Mm. And imagine that your ex-wife has addressed him as a drag queen to talk to you. Mm. He has false eyelashes and makeup. His hair has got glitter in it. He's wearing a dress. Now, imagine how you would feel mm. seeing what I believe is actual sexual abuse. I believe this is not just emotional abuse, but is the very most fundamental form of sexual abuse, tampering with the sexual identity of a vulnerable boy. Hmm. Every single day, you have to see your son sexually abused, and you have to maintain your calm. Hmm. You have to be the one who's calm because the courts are not going to be fair to you. Mm. The only way you can survive this and get your son through this alive is to calmly allow your son to be tortured right before your eyes and outlast the opposition. Mm. That's what it's like. Mm. I'll tell you spiritually what it's like. 
the ancients said that we wanted to have children because we desired immortality of a sense. They understood that we all have this desire for everlasting life. Of all, all, all ancients understood this. Imagine your child being ripped from you like this. What it feels like is your entire future has been taken from you. Not just your son, but all his sons and all their sons have been taken from you. And put those two together and imagine yourself there and you have some sense mm -hmm. of what it's like. Mm. Um, so, so Texas lawmakers just in the recent month, um, Jeff, have been asked uh, about this issue, right? And and just to give them full uh, the benefit of the doubt, right? They've been asked this issue in context to the bathroom bill, which was last session, and there was that. There's very little overlap that that issue has with this particular issue that stands before us today, right? So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt uh, in the way they've discussed that. But when asked about the only issue that we know of that kind of touches on the surface of the issue of, of children being transitioned by one parent, uh, you know, over the rights of another or anything like that. Um, you know, one lawmaker has said that this is an issue that we've already won. The battle's over, in essence. There's another that has, uh, when asked about it, he said that uh, we were going to try to address real issues this session, like long lines at the DMV, right, um, as opposed to, to some of the social issues that people would define this as. So if, if you were in the room with some of them today, what would you say to them? The state of Texas must outlaw sex change surgeries on children under the age of 18. If you're not old enough to get a tattoo in the state of Texas, you can't get a sex change surgery mm -hmm. in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. Second, we have to outlaw this hormone therapy for psychological purposes. We cannot chemically castrate children. Mm. We cannot force boys to grow up with micro penis, never having a normal life, never having children, even if they decide differently later. Mm. We can't allow that in Texas. We can still allow hormone therapy for medical treatments. There mm. are some valid medical reasons mm -hmm. to do this. But for psychological purposes, we should not chemically castrate children in the state mm. of Texas. And finally, we have to take a stand for parents' rights. Mm. No parent should ever lose parental rights for affirming the biological sex of their children. Mm. No parent should be forced to pay child support for the sexual mutilation of their children. That's what I would say to them. Three parts. Mm. Um, you tell, talk to me a little bit about the difference between allowing a child who has been diagnosed with gender dysphoria to walk through life and make that decision for themselves throughout their childhood and into adulthood, and the difference between inserting ourselves early in the process through hormone therapy and chemical castration. Can you talk to me a little bit about the difference? Yes. So um, I'll actually use the categories that are used by the Genesis Clinic and are, okay. I think are widely used by the psychological community. Okay. The first one they deal with is what they call reparative therapy. This is an attempt to dissuade your child or make your child a return to their normal uh, sexual behavior. They are totally against that, Okay. right? Um, and I'm actually not even advocating that, Yeah. right? 
The second approach is what what used to be the commonest approach in psychology, where where we don't know, we don't have a lot of information, we're not sure. They used to call it watchful waiting. Yeah. In the in the gender world, they call it the wait and see approach. Mm -hmm. Right. We just simply keep the child wearing normal clothes that are appropriate to his biological sex in your culture. Um, and you wait and see if they return to their normal identity. When they're yep. adults, then when they can make decisions, right? Yep. The third approach, which the wider psychological community in America advocates and the Genesis Clinic implements, uh, is called the affirming approach. And this means early on, immediately in fact, you affirm. You say, well, you think you're a girl, you are a girl. Mm -hmm. You socially transition them as early as possible, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the issue I have with the affirming approach is the pretense is that, well, it's no different than the wait and see approach, but we're um, just preventing all of this social embarrassment for the child or discomfort for the child. Mm. That's actually not true, right? Um, you're affirming a child in a false belief, in a delusion, effectively. Mm. And this has a tendency to push children to mm. maintain it where they otherwise wouldn't. Mm. And the psychological community uh, has, has no protocol for determining a false uh, gender identity that's been foisted on, for example, by a, by a malicious parent mm. or one that comes from the child. They have no way to distinguish. To determine. No. They have no way to do this. So what's the difference when a child is with the wait and see approach versus the kind of inserting and affirming? What, what, what are the different outcomes that come if you take children within those contexts? It, it, children who uh, who are uh, you know have watchful waiting, mm -hmm. uh, we just wait and see what they do. Mm -hmm. Over ninety percent return to their to identifying with their normal biological mm -hmm. sex. Um, of the children that you affirm, the uh, the numbers are, are in single digits, is mm -hmm. what the psychological community is claiming. Mm -hmm. um, of the ones that go into hormone therapy, the, they're saying that zero percent of them ever come to affirm. Mm -hmm. With their, uh, uh, to identify with their biological sex. Now, the psychological community says, well, that's because our diagnostic protocols are absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other, uh, the other uh, uh, option here, the way to think about this, which Paul McHugh has talked about, he's a founder of the transgender field. Yeah. Paul McHugh has said, well, actually, these therapies are pushing the children to maintain mm -hmm. this false gender identity. Mm -hmm. we, should under we should study that. You can't get funding to study that. If you try to study that, they shut the studies are shut down. So we don't have any data on on that. And the rea so so they're they're in essence basically saying that these children that had gender dysphoria at a young age that on their own decided that they were their born biological sex and now are adults in that yes. really should have been encouraged and fully transitioned to the point to where they could have never had the freedom to make that decision as an adult. Yeah. That's at the end of the day. If unless something changes, your son will never have the opportunity to make a free decision as adult in the United States of America as to how he wants to that is correct. identify himself as. And that's what I'm fighting for. I want to wait and see, and when he has a fully developed rational faculty at the age of 18 to make his own decision. You know, uh, Jeff, I've, and I've told this story so many times, but I, I had... Um, a family that I grew up with, and uh, and w when I say a family, I mean my I grew up with six siblings, and we had another family that went to our church that also had seven children, so kind of similar, and they were all kind of our age ages, and they had three boys, three girls, and then 
a boy. And we had three boys and then four girls. And so <laughs> my sisters love them and we love the brothers. We paintball together and uh, everything, everything together. So anyways, uh, in the course of spending so much time with them, their youngest daughter and, and I would get in conversation, right? And we spent all the time over there in Bible studies and church and stuff. And so she'd come up to me and tell me about what she was doing that day or what new thing she had or the new doll that she got. And she was four years old. I was 15 or so at the time. And um, then she came up to me one day and she said, I love you. And I thought that was sweet, right? It's a normal, sweet reaction. So I said, oh, well, I love you too. And I'm not, I'm going to not mention her name just to protect her or anybody else in this conversation. But um, so I said, oh, that's nice. I love you too. Okay, cool. And then uh, the next day uh, we were over at their house and she said, I want to marry you. And I said, oh, well, that's that's nice. Okay. And so I decided, you know, not to let her down too often. Didn't want to break this young girl's heart. So um, the next week or two, her mom tells me, Luke, she will not stop talking about getting married to you. I mean, she is like, she's telling all of us it's a thing. It's going to happen. So I said, well, maybe this is going to wear off. So a month later, I realized this isn't going away. Like, I need to break this young girl's heart early on. Let's just, you know, pull the scab off now before it gets too bad. So I sit down and have a conversation with her and tell her, look, you know, I'm probably going to get married before you're of age. <laughs> I, like, I, I think I said it much more eloquently. I don't remember word for word, but the point is I had a discussion with her. I break this off and she's very hurt. And she tells me, well, fine, if you're not going to marry me, I'm going to marry Jared. And Jared is her 17-year-old older brother, right? So, I mean, clearly at four, uh, I, I pushed her into a worse place, right? I mean, right. I was like, crud, now she's going to marry your older brother. And in the course of that, you know, I stop and think that what would have happened if in a twisted world, when I went to her parents, the reaction instead was, awesome. We love you. You're a great guy. You look like you have some potential. You know, we'd love to have a good provider for our daughter. I mean, what do you think? And what if in a twisted alternate universe, I said, um, well, you know, I think she's got some potential and she's a pretty young lady and let's see where this goes. And we affirmed the concepts which she had brought together. And she initiated this. We didn't, we didn't say that she should marry some older guy. Where would she be today, right? And it's not an apples to apples comparison at the end of the day, but it's the reality that when in society or culture did we decide that any idea that a three or four or five-year-old child has, and really we don't, right? We've taken this one decision that they make. So if you say, I wanna marry this person, you can't do that. I wanna do this, you can't do that. I wanna go here, that's dangerous. There's so many things that we protect them from and at the end of the day, your child, if he says, I'd like to drink a bunch of alcohol, you say no. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a point in time in which you're going to make that decision, right? right. I want to smoke a cigarette. You're four. No. <laughs> I mean, there are people, I'm sure, that have done that before or are okay with that. Mm -hmm. But the point is, no. But at a point in time, we're going to let you make that decision. And that can have consequences, and you're going to bear those consequences. But nowhere have we decided, except for this one instance, to say that if a three-year-old child says, I think I might be a girl, that the right approach is to not only affirm it, but to put them in a permanent position, 
prior to puberty, prior to any of these situations where even if they in their natural sense would come to a different conclusion at 15, 16, or 17, we're not even allowing them to make that decision. We are taking their will, their right, their ability out of it. And, I, and as you pointed out, even the parental rights aspect that you're facing is a whole separate situation. So um, I know that that, that did, ended a question, but... Um, well, let me, let me say some things about it. It's very powerful because um, what's, what's, what is happening is they're asking me to affirm a delusion. You know, it's, it's not yep. true that he's a girl. Yep. And they're asking me to affirm a delusion or lose parental rights. Um, and, you know, this is true. We don't do this with any other delusions. We don't, you know, if someone enters uh, a mental hospital thinking that they're Napoleon, we don't think that they get better by affirming that they are, in fact, Napoleon. Mm. And actually, your problem is that the wider society uh, doesn't believe you're Napoleon and treats you differently, and that's the source of your discomfort. So everyone now has to call you Napoleon. And so your discomfort will go away. We don't think that way about it. It's only on this one little issue. Further, in the print, on the parental rights side, why, why is it on this one issue parents don't have the right to decide how to educate their children? We are talking about a uh, customs and practices that go back the 500-year history of Texas all the way back to the Bronze Age, to the prehistoric age, we have always raised boys to be boys. This distinction has always and everywhere been made. Suddenly, two years ago, they make this change to the DSM manual, and we're all supposed to sack all of our traditional child-rearing practices. Mm. And one of the points that I've made to the custody evaluator, Benjamin Albritton, is that the best you can say about all of this is that the science is unsettled. Mm -hmm. That's really the, the best you can get mm. from it. In the case where the science is unsettled, the, the traditional child-rearing practices of the people of the state of Texas are controlling. Mm. So when the state of Texas tells you that when your son is in your custody, in your home, under your care, that you cannot legally tell him that you think he is a boy. It seems to me... On pain of criminal contempt, yeah. talking jail time. I mean, I, I feel like most Texans who hear that just going back to your priest or anybody else you have this conversation with, wouldn't even believe that that's the case. Oh, no. I've had, tr I've had to show people the injunction, and then they still hardly believe it, even though it's handwritten in the judge's own handwriting. And well, when you go to your son's school, mm -hmm. you do not have the First Amendment right to refer mm -hmm. to him as a boy when meeting with any of his teachers, when meeting with his principal. We have decided, Texas has decided, essentially and is moving towards deciding that I can't do that. They are choosing that for him. Correct. I mean, they have chosen that path for well, him. Think about it now. Uh, after liturgy, and I take my son to Sunday school. Well, in Sunday school at my church, we teach Genesis. We just went through the readings for Genesis. And we have 
long discussions about how God created man and woman and the orthodox teachings on gender and sexuality. Now, it's usually presented as gender for children this young, mm -hmm. but it's definitely presented. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't taken him to Sunday school mm -hmm. because I'm pretty sure that would violate the injunctions that I'm mm -hmm. under. You know, Christian teachings on sexuality and gender would constitute trying to convince him that he's a boy. So you could conclude that the Texas court system has told you that you cannot take your son to Sunday school That's because correct. an attempt to put him in a church would be potentially telling them that he's a boy yes. and affirming that. Yes. So, Joe, uh, something I want to bring into this conversation is, and it's the un- talked about son at this point. It's Jude, right? right? So James is a twin brother um, of Jude, right? And right. so um, why don't you talk to me a little bit about, and I know Jeff would have some insight into this as well, but talk to me about Jude and that situation. And, and um, now Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to step out, but are you somewhat restricted from what you could or couldn't say about Jude? Or could you talk about that as well? I could talk freely about Jude. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so talk to me about this. So <clears throat> I would say Jude's got a pretty special place in our life. He, you can definitely tell he doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Mm. Um, Jude reminds me of my middle son, you know, kind of has this very sensitive spiritual aspect to him where telling the truth or, or lying are very big deals. Like mm. they, it kind of tears them apart when mm. they've lied to you and they have to come and give this whole big confession. Well, imagine that type of boy living in a place where 75% of the time he has to say that his brother is a girl. Mm and go to school and say, this is my sister, mm. which of course he knows is not correct. Mm. Then when he's with us, he gets to actually be himself. Mm. James is himself, Judah's himself. He gets to be the real him. But I see the last day he's with his father because we are almost always with him. Mm. And the last day he's with his father before he goes back home, there's this overwhelming sense of dread and fear of having to go back to this lie. Mm. and being forced to lie. And my wife's made a good point in that where in society is it ever good to teach our kids that to advance yourself in the world and to get along, you need to make a practice of lying. Mm. And, and it's okay to do that. I think it just sets a bad standard on how to raise a child. And I, and I know that's your opinion. Mm. I don't want to put that you know, on Jeff necessarily. I just want to make sure that that's, that's clear. But Jeff, why don't you tell me a little bit about Jude as his father? And, uh, you know, uh, so there. let me just tell you a little bit about the boys, and I think this will give you some insight into Jude and why he's so strongly affected by this. So when they were um, two, um, I, I, you know, I'm one of these guys, like, I watch their cartoons. I make sure everything is uh, appropriate for them. So mm -hmm. I just realized, like, man, I do not understand the modern cartoons. Um, a lot of them seem like anti-businessman and this weird... and environment cult and stuff. I just didn't like the modern ones. And frankly, I didn't understand the plots in most of them. So I went back and got the old stuff. I got DVDs of the, all the old stuff I used to watch as a mm -hmm. boy. And one of them they really liked was the old Johnny Quests. Okay. Right? I watched those growing up. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, they have jetpacks and they do all kinds of adventures. I would right? assume you did not watch them growing up as a child. Oh, no, I, I did. Absolutely. Were they around? They were around. I watched them on a Curtis Mathis television. <laughs> really? A color one. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I was watching reruns. I don't know. Maybe well, I was. They, it was uh, it was a 1960s <laughs> cartoon. I think it's the only okay. show that ever ran on the three all three networks. Wow, actually, it's interesting. Go. I'm very well cultured. Okay, I, I experienced well, the, the the foreign art, the, right. the, the the old arts as well as the modern. Right there, you go. So when I just noticed this difference between the boys, I'm sitting there watching Johnny Quest. We're watching the Invisible Monster. It's their favorite yep. one. And uh, 
James is saying things like, "Oh, look, he's flying. He's you know, he's he's trying to get the monster. He's can he get to the switch? You know, and stuff like that." And Jude is saying things like, "Oh man, he's scared. Oh, band, Bandit's terrified. He's so terrified he can't move. Johnny wants to go. You know, it's he's thinking. So you had one kid living the outer life yep. of these characters, and one kid living the inner life of the characters, and it was mm. Jude living the inner life uh, of the characters." Mm. And that's how he approaches people. He doesn't mm. approach people by what they can do, but by more about who they are, mm. what, they're, what they feel, what they think. Mm. Um, and he doesn't really know anything about you until he gets that. James can just look, oh, well, you're a football player. You know, and that's all he needs to know. But Jude wants to understand, why are you a football player? Do you like being a football player? Mm. Did you choose it yourself? And these are the questions he asks people, right? Mm. So he's a, he feels things and understands things through yep. the internal character of people. So, so keep that in mind as I relate this story to you. Like, this yep. is Jude's perplexity over this. Yes. We're taking a shower. I'm getting my boys cleaned up. We, we were out with Joe's boys, and uh, they climbed a big hill and co- apparently conquered a giant army. So that in the process, <laughs> got really muddy. And uh, uh, so we're taking a shower, and, uh, you know, James is washing up, and Jude is trying to get all his clothes off to take his turn, you know, and everything. And I'm washing James. And Jude go- looks in there and says... How can he be a girl? He's got a penis, and he points. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I can't answer the question according to the court's injunction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I all I could say was, "Do you think he's a boy or a girl?" He says, "I think he's a boy." I said, "Well, that's a sentiment I could agree with, mm. Jude. It's the best I could do for him." Because mm. I was afraid it would go back to the courts somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, but he he's very confused by it. Mm. Uh, utterly confused by it, yeah. and only now am I starting to see this. He's um, he lied to me for the first time recently, mm. and um, he started to talk about James. When I asked him about, well, why did you lie to me? He starts talking about his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very trying to work out for himself when is it okay to lie and when is it not to, because he knows he has to lie. Mm. Mm. So I feel like I can't teach him Christian teachings on this either. Mm. Or, or scientific teachings either. Absolutely. I mean, I, just to, just to just specify, I mean, you, just, this, is, it, this is not uh, only a realm in which no. those of a Christian faith adhere no. to this understanding. I mean, there yeah. are plenty of people who are completely secular um, from any faith yep. that would hold the same beliefs that you have based on Definitely. human biology. Definitely. Yeah. I think Jude said it best when he just pointed. Mm. He has... He has a penis. He just, mm. He's not a girl. Well, yeah, that's absolutely true. So, Joe, I want you to just take a second. Is there anything else you want to say? Please do so. I'm going to let yeah. Jeff kind of close us out. And yeah. thank you all so much for the time that you've given us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, one of the one of the things we get a lot, especially when discussing this with people and they maybe read an, an off article, is, well, how do I know all this is true? Where do mm. I find information? Mm. Um, on our website, we've actually obtained, most of them pulled directly from ourselves from the courthouse, most of the court documents involved in this case. Yep. Um, we also have obtained um, two separate transcripts where you can actually see Anne's own words talking about James and Luna. Mm. Um, and then, of course, the, the debate going on. So they're very long. So we actually just did a, a blog update on the website today where we took some et- excerpts from Anne's words talking specifically about her desires for Jeff and James, Luna, um, and Jude, you know, and about their plans with the Genesis program. So one criticism we've gotten a lot is, well, this website seems very one-sided and biased towards the Father. Well, 
We didn't create it as just a standalone yep. organization. We created it to speak out for something yep. that was going on. Well, I think Save James and Save, not James. Save Luna uh, kind of says what side you're on. It's all there. And, and what, what URL is that again? That's SaveJames.com. Okay. Just and if they want to sign, do you have a link to the petition with the 200,000 signatures on that? What, they have everything they need. Everything is the on Go the GoFundMe page. pages that they can donate yep. to. And my wife uh, actually updates the blog, and we have a few other people that are going to be updating the blog almost daily. Mm-hmm. And so with new events that are coming out, new articles, um, so almost everything you could need is there. And, you know, when it comes to these, these type of documents, obviously they're sensitive. You can't go find them online mm-hmm. yourself. Yep. Um, courts restrict them for family court yep. to protect the rights of children, yes. obviously. So if anyone wants to go and pull them from the courthouse themselves, they're more than welcome to. Um, Jeff, is there? Uh, you've been so gracious with your time. Um, I cannot thank you enough for your willingness to speak out on this issue. Um, for your willingness to share your testimony and the position you're in right now. Um, you know, on behalf of Texans and um, this state that we all hold dear and our community, um, I just, I hurt for you. And um, I really do. I am sorry that you're going through this. And I'm sorry that our laws are written in such um, that, that this is allowed to transpire. And, um, you know, I don't think lawmakers even four or six or eight or 10 years ago would have envisioned this happening. So I'm not, I'm not blaming them in the idea that um, this was not something that previous legislatures or um, judges or those lawmakers that would potentially impact this would have seen this coming. Um, and so, but I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that through the process of realizing um, the abuse that's happening within our, our state that maybe action could be taken. Is there anything else you want to say um, or anything you feel like you weren't able to touch on? Um, I think there's two things. One, um, this isn't just about James. And this is one of the things when, when I pray, and I have to really remind myself of three times a day, um, this is not just about James. If, if it is affirmed in a Texas court that you can lose your parental rights merely for standing up for the biological sex of your son, mm. if, if courts allow this, mm. there will be thousands of children mm. that will be abused in this state. Mm. And it's, it's, you know, I say save James and you save thousands of kids. Mm. We have to prevent the courts from ever allowing this precedent mm. to stand. We cannot have that in this state, mm. right? It's not just about James, and there, there are kids elsewhere in the country, and often higher courts in the states look to the other states' rulings. Texas has always been a leader in these things, and it should be a leader now. We cannot allow Texas children to be abused. And I really believe, one of the reasons I asked for a jury trial is I really believe my fellow citizens are not going to allow this to happen to my mm. son, and I truly believe that. Mm. Texans just are not the kind of people where we're going to let kids be abused here. Mm. We need to put an end to it. That's the first mm. thing. The second thing is, you're right, we can't blame the less. Who and who could have imagined? The purpose of laws is not to envision every possible wicked yep. thing that can be done yep. by people. That's yep. not the purpose of the laws. Um, but we do need to recognize that there will be resistance to this, that, that there will be a fight. Um, but, you know, Texans are not the kind of people who shrink from a fight to protect mm-hmm. the weak. Mm-hmm. We haven't done it at any time in our history. We have mm-hmm. never shrunk from protecting them. Even when we were at our weakest, our great heroes of Texas fought. 
And I don't believe that our legislatures are going to abandon us now, mm. right? Times are tough. Things are tough. There is going to be a fight. But in the end, they're Texans, mm. and they will stand up for the kids of the state. And I believe that, and I pray for it every single day. Well, I have nothing else to add to that, and I'm so grateful for both of you coming by. Thank you so much. Wow. That, I'd say what, that's, um, that interview really just still blows my mind. How is this happening in Texas? I mean, look, you got to sit there and spend time with these guys yeah. and, and were there during the interview doing it. What was that like? What was, what was your major takeaway? You know, I, it's, it's very difficult to empathize with people when you haven't been in those type of situations, right? And uh, most people know, or I think, but at this point, if you don't, Raz has a, uh, a little son and I have a little daughter and they're both born around the same time. And um, I just think it's really powerful. I'm sure you have thought the same thing, Raz, as the father of a child and your desire to love that child and protect that child and raise that child with love and truth. And um, as they grow, knowing that at the point in time in which they're an adult, they're going to make their own decisions, right? They, they could take that information that they know and use it in a beneficial way to society, and they could take the, the brain and intellect that they're used, and they could use it to cause harm to people and destroy people and, and other things like that. I mean, it's just the realities that we have as parents, but it's just very sobering that there are people that just have decided to experiment on children. And we have children in Texas being used as an experiment. Most people I talk to about this, I mean, just do a really quick take and then say, wait a second, are you talking about this happening in Texas? You know, I mean, they, they'd assume that I flew to San Francisco to have this conversation, right? Or Seattle, no offense to anybody in those areas. But the point being that those would seem to be the communities in which this would be tolerated more. And yet this is a Texas judge making rulings with Texas parents. Um, so anyways, it's just well, incredible. And, you know, I, I, th I think that one of the things that stands out to me is when you tell somebody this story, uh, they assume that you're not sharing all of it. You're only sharing one side, right? Yeah. Because how could this possibly be happening if this is really what's going on? But you, know, you read through these legal briefs, briefs, you know, at uh, savejames.org or .com. .com, um, yep. You read through those. You read through those briefs and what's being filed, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this, this is it. Yep. This is really what's happening. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, like I said, I think the way Jeff ended that, I remember asking him, is there any final thing you want to say? And literally as he's talking, I mean, I'm feeling the call to myself, you know, to stand up. And I just said, okay, there's nothing, nothing else I can add to this conversation. I think we're, I think we're good to call it, call it quits. Um, but anyways, very powerful. My hope is that Texans who got a chance to listen to it, discuss it. I hope that they share it. Um, with friends and family. I hope they share it with any influential individual they know in the state of Texas. Um, I think that the majority of lawmakers in our state don't even know this is happening. And I say that from no. personal experience, having had conversations with elected officials saying, hey, I had a conversation with this gentleman and this is his story. And each of them look at me going, there's no way that is actually happening in our state. And so I think that that just, right. I, I hope that other Texans realize that too. I mean, if you take this conversation and you call up your state representative, your state senator, your county commissioners and your mayors and your congressmen and your, you know, the U.S. senators in our state and say, is this happening? If you're somebody in another state, 
This is happening in your state. I mean, if you think that this is just relegated to the state of Texas, if you're somebody who's listening to this conversation and you live in another state in the United States of America, this is probably happening in your state as well. And have you even taken time to see if there's some type of clinic that's involved in the transitioning of minor children through this process? I also thought when Jeff talked about just the radical difference that we have in our approach over the last several years, where we used to allow somebody to have confusion over their gender and naturally let that play out. Um, and the difference that we now have where a couple people who cannot objectively say that this person definitely, right, is convinced that they are a girl, but we are going to convince them and we are going to medically alter them to where they will never even know. I mean, it's just radically sobering. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit on the intro, but just the reality that people in the LGBT community are also reaching out. And my hope is that Democrats and members of the LGBT community that are elected officials don't take this as an assault on them, but literally say, yeah, I think we can all agree that a three-year-old, a four, five, and six-year-old shouldn't be treated this way and should be given the freedom to decide as an adult what direction they want to take their lives. Um, it's just, it's really sobering. So uh, with that, uh, I want to go right into reminding everybody who sponsored this episode. Patriot Academy is an amazing organization and nonprofit that is really raising up the next generation of leaders. Uh, you can go to patriotacademy.com to find out more information about them. I know they're raising up the next generation of leaders because Raz went to one of the first academies that ever happened. But Rick Green, at the end of the day, founded this organization and takes hundreds of students into the Capitol. They play the role of a state representative or a state senator for a week, they receive worldview instruction, they receive economic instruction and guidance, understanding of our founding fathers and our founding documents and the role that that plays even on our government still today, and are just instilled with incredible insight and equipped with the information they need to try to make a change, and at the same time, get to do it in a really fun setting where they're networking with other students that are their age, high school and college, and some grad students, and then also you know playing the role of a representative and debating real issues on the House floor and on the Senate floor. These are all around the United States. It started in Texas, so you can go to patriotacademy.com to find out more information. Raz, you, I know you've done this as well. Any insights you have? It was one of the transformative experiences of my life. Uh, I went through when I was early in my college years, and it really helped clarify a lot of what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be, and how I wanted to leave a mark on this country. And the relationships that I built there from, from getting to know Rick better um, through getting to know people like yourself better as we've been going back yep. for years as coaches and mentors, uh, it's still one of the highlights of my year. Every time I get to go and, and working with those committees, uh, you've got real actual legislators coming in. We've got legislators that have come out of that program across the country. Yep. It's, it's an incredible experience that I, I hope everybody will check out because it, it definitely shaped my life in a very positive way. And every year when I go back, I see it doing the same to all kinds of young men and women. Um, well, with that as our uh, completion of our first episode, Raz, if somebody wants to find out more about you, where can they do that? 
So we go to raz.us, R-A-Z.us. So you can find my social media information, uh, anything you need to know about me and ways to reach out. I look forward to talking to you and always encourage folks to make sure that you go, you subscribe to the podcast. We're going to be having more and more of these episodes coming out. Absolutely. So through iTunes, whatever podcast medium you're tracing, subscribe. Uh, if you don't mind, leave us a review as well. Let us know what you think. Give us some constructive feedback and help other people find out about what we're trying to do. And you can find more information about me out at LukeMacias.com or you can follow me on Twitter at LukeMacias.tx. That stands for Texas. Um, thank you so much for taking time to listen to this conversation. Please share it with people. Let people know what's going on, the type of battles that our society is seeing. And please answer the call that Jeff Younger gave to so many Texans to take a stand, address this issue in a courageous manner. Thank you so much for listening.